about five put that up as a separate like bacteria and dead cells are lining your intestines at any moment sounds like you're uh, channeling a second school <laughs> on a journey through the digestive the magic school bus oh man if carl sagan was running the magic school bus i'd watch the show oh, that. God, that would be phenomenal <laughs> Especially in a cartoon. <laughs> okay, we're starting there. Welcome, everybody, to Frivolous Gravitas. Uh, we're going to take you on a magic school bus ride through the brambles of implicit bias. Uh, yeah, this isn't going to be a good school bus ride. But that's okay, because this is something we all kind of need to talk about, because we literally all have it. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we function. We are built in a certain way for some reason. Uh, I don't know, go read the Bible or something. But what we do know is that part of how we make decisions is largely unconscious. And this comes um, from a lot of scholarship in the, in the, in the mid-90s, which um, found that a lot of what we do and a lot of our decision-makings and interactions with people do not happen actually on the conscious level. So, um, we end up having, uh, I can't find the actual citation here, but that doesn't matter at the moment. But, uh, what happens is we, when we make a lot of decisions on this level, um, the subconscious, the unconscious, whatever school of psychology you want to, you know, ascribe yourself to <clears throat> essentially like last week when we were talking about those unconscious processes that are working in the background, some of those processes are not just evaluating sensory inputs to make first impressions, but a lot of them are working to say, help you make a decision quickly. Now this, comes about, I guess, in evolutionary, you know, is that the bush with the dangerous predator in it or is that the bush with the dangerous predator in it? And your brain can't spend time being like, well, that bush has 23% more rustling than this one over here. So, it's probably that one given that and then you're dead. So, that's, we do have these unconscious processes for very, very good reasons. They're not racist they're just there and we need to learn to live with them and sometimes especially in modern society um they lead us into quite stupid places like mob behavior or sticking to opinions that have no basis in reality or just stupid jingoistic stuff um so what we have here um, now we all have like conscious biases, explicit biases as, uh, the literature would have it. So something that I like this because this. So, you know, you have a bias towards something. Now it could be something that you like a hockey team. My bias is towards the Winnipeg Jets because I lived there because this and that. I know about it. It's conscious. I'm making this distinction on a conscious level. You eat something. This is a bad pizza. I'm not going to eat from this pizza chain anymore. This is an explicit bias that you now have because, you know, one pizza maker had a bad day or something and now you're never going back to, I don't know, BP or something. Um, that's actually an explicit bias of my own, uh, specifically that restaurant. Um, <laughs> and I know it's a bias because I know that those two pizzas that I had there were an anomaly. But my heart still goes whenever I kind of, I kind of, whenever I open the menu there, I'll just kind of be, I'll have this 
revulsion towards it because I had a bad experience in the past. Literally just food poisoning from a pizza. Okay. It's not PTSD or anything like that. Um, now this is in opposition to what we would call implicit cognition. So implicit cognition is also implicit. When, when I say the word implicit in this podcast, we also mean unconscious. It's the same thing. It's happening behind the scenes. It's implicit in what you do. It's unconscious cognition. Um, a good definition for this was a process not available through introspection, which is largely one of the ways you get out of this. It affects your judgments and affects our actions. And this was a definition by uh, Jakob Olofsson. Um, and he was writing about implicit bias specifically in uh, his thesis. Um, so essentially what this means is you are making judgments on things that you probably don't even know you're making judgments on um, in society. And we do this all the time. This leads us now, this leads us to act in ways that seem mystifying when you view them from the outside. So, um, soccer hooligan behavior viewed from the outside is odd, especially for someone in North America. But from the inside, it makes sense. It's just like, here's what we're going to do. You're not thinking because you're having fun and you just go off and do your soccer hooligan stuff. Uh, why do you have a scarf instead of a flag? It's just what we do. This is what soccer hooliganism is. You don't think about it. It's a bit of a shallow uh, example, but um, essentially things in the background affect your actions in the foreground or in, or in the real world, um, your judgments and actions. I don't like this. Well, why? Well, because it's purple and I don't like the LA Lakers. That's dumb. <laughs> doesn't have any basis in reality, but lots of people act like this. You know, I've been known to act like this. So, I don't like those ones. Why? Because I just don't. Let's leave it at that. I don't want to have that for dinner and then you just end up having something else. Uh, unconscious bias. It creeps up like this. And today, Chris is going to go through, I'm just kind of giving an introduction here, laying some foundation for him uh, to work off of. And he's going to examine uh, it's going to take us along so that we examine how this, uh, would you say affects or drives us in society? How it riles up other biases. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the, uh, the talking stick to you and, uh, yeah, I'll let you go. Hello and thank you, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Also remember to like and subscribe RSS feed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Do that and that and yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Just nuke that like button or something. I don't know what people say nowadays. I think they say tickle it now. Mash and tickle. Just give it a nice little... <laughs> the diddle. If anybody's the diddle. a Kevin Smith fan, they'll get that from the flying car. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Obscure, like, animated, or not animated, but short movie reference. Anyway. That's, that's a deep pull. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> that's a very deep pull. Show your biases. <laughs> and uh, as far as great segues go, that was also a great great way to lead into uh, unconscious bias, because that is also a deep pool. Bias in general being the deepest of all pools. But... I suppose where I wanted to get to, the, and I, I'll just state from the outset that uh, I'm not a sympathizer for terrorists by any stretch. It should go without saying, but this is the internet after all, and 
nothing on the internet is uh goes without saying anymore what are you gonna talk about no (laughs) (laughs) what is he Um, gonna say folks stay tuned (laughs) the fact of the matter is it's it is possible that even our demons do things that aren't necessarily wrong um and i i think a lot of our unconscious bias has led us or sort of fueled some kind of hatred or vitriol towards certain groups of people that thereby also fueling other biases like racial bias and uh gender bias and things like that just predicated on the unconscious or latent assumptions that we make when generating thoughts or ideas ourselves mm-hmm. um so I'll, I'll get into a bunch of that but i just wanted to preface this whole uh episode by saying that obviously we are vehemently opposed to all forms of violence we might disagree a little bit on when it's okay to use violence, like self-defense and what constitutes self-defense and whatever, but that's not the focus or emphasis of this episode. I just want to show the perspective of another side of something that's like a contemporary conflict um, that's known worldwide, or at least should be known worldwide because it was widely publicized worldwide. Um, so to, to start that off, I'll just sort of state where my premise is starting from, and that's the unconscious or implicit bias. Uh, I use the two terms synonymously, so or interchangeably, I should say. That's the same thing, isn't it? That's ironic. <laughs> yeah, I already said that. We were doing that, too. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so, so doubling up. It's, it's a thought or a feeling um, or a preference or an aversion to an, a per- uh, person or situation for which we're unaware of their effects factoring into our decision-making. Mm-hmm. So... Along the lines of the same thing that you said, but I just want to make sure that it's clear where I'm coming from from it, because I'm going to be drawing a lot of specific examples that are based on this. Yeah. Um, so they're not all bad, as you said, and they're not all malicious, and they're not inherently evil. It's just the way our brain works by pattern recognition, and that's just structured from uh, there's limited space in your brain for neurons. So a lot of what we do with um, visual awareness, for instance, is we'll have certain neurons that cluster around objects. And then to get a refined detail or sensation or depiction of an object, you'll get more and more refined clusters of neurons that specifically point out different uh, different elements of your, your visory sensors. Mm-hmm. So an example to this is um, machine learning does it a lot. So that's sort of where I'm getting my inferences from. I'm not a, I'm not a med student or a neurophysician by any means. I'm not a doctor. But um, my understanding of neural nets is sort of leads into how brain structure and things work because that's no i study neural nets but i had this thought in uh actually uh, when i was doing some research for this episode was that we have a bias that makes us that helps us work faster and so our brain's gonna pathway something it's not gonna spend want to spend time thinking about the options that are not uh necessary for the calculation in that specific action um you know you need to run now instead of thinking you need to run now your yeah, brain so just runs what i'm getting and at is so it's that's... physically impossible not to do this though right you have to have those layering sections of resolution in order to be able to perceive the world with the lim- limited space inside your cranium yeah i'm just kind of glad you brought up uh, neural nets because it did kind of make sense for me to think about it like that yeah um so, so it, it's a physical constraint to humanity though there, there's no way around there no person can be um, completely washed clear and free of unconscious bias the fact that we even have a subconscious 
like well, things like sexual attraction or like visual appeal or favorite color or music we like or the way we walk and dance. All of that is an unconscious bias towards a certain way of modality. Well, an obvious one is that that exists for every uh, bipedal hominid <laughs> is that um, you get an apple. Now, humans like apples because they're sweet. They have vitamins in them. So, like we're definitely predisposed to like apples and, and fruit. Now, if one of the sides of the apple is rotten, like just it's got mold on it and everything, you just like you have a visceral reaction to reject that apple. It, it, you, like you don't just like put it down and go, oh, that one's not good. You chuck that thing. You know, you're about to eat it and you look and it's got, you know, uh, worms coming out and it's got a little coral reef of mold growing off of it. You're going to chuck that thing away from you. You don't want that anywhere near you, right? And so you have this disgust reaction, this unconscious bias uh, against putting that anywhere near uh, this area of your face. Um, and you don't want to touch it. And then you have this instinctive bias. I'm not clean. I need to clean off whatever taint that that apple had. And so you have this unconscious bias towards mold, bad fruit. Uh, now, mold is useful. So like we can't, this is, I guess, uh, one of those examples. And you know, one guy, a uh, scientist has to get over that to make uh, mold samples in their petri dishes. Or the guy who invented penicillin uh, never thought about it because it's just mold. We have that implicit bias against molds and fungi and stuff like that because they, frankly, they can kill us very easily. Yeah, um, and that sort of stems from those really primitive centers in our brain, which tell us oosh. that all things that are rotten and all things that are moldy have carry a similar disgust trait, whether it's a dead corpse or it's just a piece of fruit on your counter that's been sitting there in the sun for too long. <clears throat> we, yeah. we have a very similar visceral reaction to it. And, um, well, actually that's a lot of, they got a lot of structural, eh, structural, um, a lot of explanations for, um, uh, like eating taboos come from those. Un a lot of people write about how those come from unconscious bias, like uh, kosher rules and um, haram foods and, uh, you know, um, beef uh, regular uh, traditions against beef in the Hindu world, those kinds of things. So you have this unconscious bias, like they can eat it now, but their culture has an unconscious bias towards these eating these, uh, things because of tradition, but all the tradition is also based in something very real. It's also so. the exposure being surrounded by people who all refuse to eat that beef, yeah, or that pork, right? Well, so they don't even eat if it. I've never heard of the religion or read the the haram lines in in the surahs or whatever, um, I might still be affected by the Quran having never been exposed to it. Because if I'm living in an area where everyone else is exposed to the Quran and they're living. Uh, a diet that's restrictive due to the Quran, mm -hmm. um, I might have, I might then develop an unconscious bias based on other people's disgust reaction to the thought of eating swine, just in mm -hmm. routine conversation. So, Schwein. um, I'm going to use a, a couple like really flagrant and, um, flamboyant examples, not just to illustrate a point. So it's not hyperbole. The, these are, I, I really do mean them very, very strictly and literally. So, like, for an example, like with, um, if we talk about the slave trade, right? It's not the case that all people who were slave owners were all inherently evil people wanting to harm other human beings. 
There are invariably some people who had slaves and owned plantations and worked their slaves who didn't actually see anything wrong with um, black people having their, their own rights or being able to vote or uh, having their own property or anything. But those people having been surrounded by an entire culture and a family and an upbringing that constantly told them and drilled them that these are less than people, it's okay to, to force them to work and profit off the sweat of their, their labor. So they might justify it to themselves based on an unconscious bias that, uh, well, everyone else is going to do it. There's been slavery since the beginning of time for hundreds of years that'll never change. And because it'll never change, and because this is the way it is, and this is just the lot in life that we've been given, they might decide that they can be um, a benevolent slave trader, and that might be okay or enough for them to persist, right? But right. then as their plantation grows, and they've got more slaves than there are farm owners uh, on their field, like kids and nephews and cousins or whatever, they yeah. might start to get insecure about the slaves rebelling or uprising against them. So then they might increase the brutality a little bit because in their mind, they could justify it again saying, well, I don't want to have to kill these people, but if they all rebel against me, I'm going to have to kill them. So it's better that I just make an example of one person so everybody else falls in line. You rule and you through can fear. sort of see how the mentality spirals down from this one just latent assumption in the back of their mind that slavery has always been around. These people have always been slaves. They've been born to be slaves. Uh, even Aristotle said that. <laughs> yeah, that was because, well, Aristotle didn't. No, that's a good. Actually, Aristotle is probably a good example of this because we have an, like, he couldn't imagine a world without the institution of slavery. And it took, you know, another 2,500 years for people to be like, okay, wait, 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 wait. If everyone's equal and we have slaves, Oh man, we're doing something wrong. And so, um, and then, you know, the Americans fought a huge war over it, um, which was probably what it needed. Like, that's probably the minimum of what needed to happen for someone to stop doing slaves. Um, the British, uh, literally spent way more money than they needed to hunting down slavers and, uh, and uh, slave ships all over the world. Um, they did not make money off of that, but the public was saying essentially, this is what you need to do. But well, on the other side, money off it. Well, no, um, that particular venture was like public. It, it was, it was a strange policy. Um, but, uh, they were on the other side, also from the colonies production. They were getting dirt cheap. No, because they were they were literally hunting down, uh, funding like slave hunters uh, all over the world. Um, now, this, the obverse of this is that um, the word "slav" itself is, well, I think, probably one of the best examples. We have this like uh, this group of people who we call slavs and that was what they called themselves and it became synonymous with slaves that you know there were so many slavs as uh slaves in the ottoman empire in northern africa in europe that the word became this and so when well i was just sort of trying to make a cursory example so yeah give me a, a minute i just want to flesh out sort of the yeah, yeah go ahead and then we can get into the the, the specifics after so, the, as a side example of the slave trade, um, you could imagine how a certain plantation owner might 
be able to justify other biases or prejudices based on mm. an unconscious bias, which is based on the people around them and <clears throat> have nothing to do with them thinking it through or actually identifying issues with the, with the reality of the modern day. Because at the time, it was just known. It's, it's always been that way. It'll mm. always be that way. And there's nothing I can do about it. So extend that same mentality even after the British uh, stopped slavery, uh, the slave trade, and even after the U.S. Uh, abolished slavery, there was still racism, right? And yeah. in addition to the racism, there was still imperialism. So there were colonies being spread across and people's like livelihoods and all of Africa was basically being torn apart by a whole bunch of white people, essentially. They yeah. were going in trying to exploit the resources, and even if they weren't enslaving the public directly or explicitly or overtly, what they were doing is they were saying, that's mine even though you you were here first. It's your land, but I'm taking it. Yeah. It's your fruits of your labor, but I'm taking it. So the mentality persisted because they never dealt with the unconscious bias, right? And imperialism itself then extends further several generations later and even after desegregation and Martin Luther King, in today's day and age, where we all abhor racism, well, mostly all abhor racism, there's still an imperialism factor that we, we've never really dealt with. So now there's this sense that we're going around the world with guns and tanks and bombs, and we're fixing other countries' problems because we know better. We know freedom and democracy is better. Uh, we know secular states are better, even though our own country's justice system and documents all have portrayals, depictions, and uh, outlines of religious iconography or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's well stating secular in the fact that it's um, the state itself isn't denominational. So, not the fact like Israel's technically secular, but... <laughs> But uh, it's well, it, Jewish. it's not though, because all of Israel's government policies, the country policies, are based entirely on uh, Israel being theirs. If there wasn't that leg to stand on, the people wouldn't be supporting the occupation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it is unconsciously because of their religious affinities and affiliation <clears throat> that they persist to do things they would otherwise not do naturally on their own accord. Yeah, I'm personally hesitant to call what we're doing now imperialism um imperialism what we're doing now but the states is doing now right I, I i'm still hesitant to call that imperialism um i think a lot of that resulted from well, crony capitalism especially that's a debate for another East time Wars. but i can give you a but dozen examples on that with with regard to yeah i know but Which with I'm regard to imperialism yeah okay I'll, I'll let you finish but okay. we don't have imperialism right now it's something different well, give me a second it's a lot to unpack because it's so entrenched in our psyche and it makes mm -hmm. it difficult and it makes us defensive when we try and discuss things um but that's just part and parcel to our humanity and our biology we need to sort of set that aside and analyze discreetly how certain systems and subsystems affect other systems and subsystems of belief. So one example of another example of how this um, <clears throat> stretches out or pans out, I should say, is the idea of um, like the two party system in the States. 
We know it's dysfunctional. We know it doesn't work. We know it's corrupt and we know it doesn't represent the people. We have data on all of that and it hasn't done so for decades. So it's not just a one term thing. It's been like that for a very, very long time. Since now, maybe the 40s or 60s. <laughs> yeah. So the mentality that there's always been slaves and that'll never change is very much the same as there's a two party system. There's always been a two party system. That'll always be the same and that'll never change. Mm -hmm. That directly, even though it's an implicit unconscious bias, directly affects the way people vote. They then start trying to game the election system and start voting on people they don't even want um, representing them. They'll yeah, say, well, well they're actually going to win or don't split the vote. These are all in results. Yeah, of what yeah, you're you'll help people. Don't, 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 don't split the vote. Like, <laughs> That's not democracy, though. Democracy allows for split votes. And if you well, don't I'm have actually, enough, then... Or they, your party doesn't represent you. And then what ends up happening is, you know, you're on side A, uh, you know, you're on side D or R, and then you're not voting with D, you're voting against R. You're not voting with R, you're voting against D because, well, it's a two-party system. Well, it's just, you know, literally in America, you can write down whatever name you want. There's like a there's a there's a line in the American voting system where you can write down someone who you think. So technically, if everyone in uh in a what do they have a county, I guess, writes down the name of like Fred Williams's cat, uh, that cat can become president or uh, can become the representative in or what do they call a county leader um, down there? I don't know. Like it. Oh, that sounds awesome. But no, um, <laughs> there's my unconscious bias towards, um, uh, uh, Roman titles. They just do sound cool. Um, although so do the Japanese ones. So. But you get, um, a point in the argument where I just completely forgot where I was going. So I'm going to put it back to you. Okay. <laughs> So along that same type of thinking where um, people are trying to now game the democracy system, it's less democratic. And I, I, I don't mean to say how much less it is. That's for another debate or a discussion. We 15%? can just... 15%? No. <laughs> Go we on. can say that it's definitely less democratic to start voting for people who you don't want elected just because of the voting system. Mm -hmm. That is less democratic than voting for the person that you want to represent you and your mm -hmm. interests. Now, Canada does it too. It's not just the states, but it's like other, every country sort of does this to some degree, varying degrees. In Canada, it's easier it's, to don't start vote NDP, a party in Canada. Vote liberal if you don't want the conservatives in. Yeah. And, or vote, vote conservative because you don't want the NDP in, but the liberal might get majority, but let them have it. Like the, everybody does this don't split the vote type system, except for like Switzerland and Germany is really good about it too. <clears throat> so. Um, that sort of falls down to um, another type of bias, which is like conformity bias. So they might think that they are personally safer. They feel better, which in our biological terms just means I feel safer, if they conform to the people around them so that, you know, don't rock the boat or, you know, um, don't, don't make noise or whatever, because then you're just creating more hassle, more hardship for yourself for fighting uh, something that's unwinnable, that you can't win. And that's the mentality, I mean. Well, it's it's so, the same as it, like you go to a soccer game or a hockey game and everyone's cheering. So, you're like, well, this is when in Rome. Yeah. And like, actually, yeah. it's 
And again, so, there's nothing actually wrong with that, but it's the fact that that unconscious bias actually feeds another yeah. bias. Well, I actually I, use I'm, my unconscious bias in those situations to like get dressed in the morning. It's like, oh, what would be right? And I don't like go like, well, this one has this color. No, no. I literally use my unconscious bias to be like, I'm doing this today. What should I wear? And then I kind of just grab what I need to put it on and go because I don't want to think about what I'm wearing generally too critically. So I leave it to an unconscious process. And if, and I'm going to use my conformity bias to inform that to some extent. I feel like that's a healthy use of my bias. <laughs> but another it, example of this is if you, if you're in an auditorium and somebody starts clapping, a lot of the times everybody will start clapping. Yes. The, the whole slow clap thing is like a real thing. People do it. And well, the speed that you clap up is also relative to the people around you. If you watch like Xi Jinping give a speech in China, oh. you'll see everybody clapping the same or everybody yeah. in, in, in one North thing Korea, that like they actually mandate it there. In, but in just an organic setting where people are clapping just on their own because somebody else sparked it, yeah. they will all sort of find a rhythm together with the whole crowd. Well, like in, um, well you never notice that when like a performance ends and someone will be like, should we clap? And then someone starts clapping who just like doesn't give a, any cares and he starts clapping because he loved it and everyone's like, oh, it's okay now. But one of the things, weird things to come out of the Soviet Union was, um, I can't remember where I heard this. <clears throat> It was like a first-hand account of people that I think got over the Berlin Wall. And they were saying how different clapping was in the West because in the Soviet world, people would clap and it would be almost in step. But in in like a democratic country, people would just they'd wait for the cue and then they'd go nuts on their own. There'd be an individual clapping for it. So, it'd be a group of individuals instead of like everyone stay in tune. And so, it was a lot more... Uh, in, in a communist country, you have that uh, conformity bias almost um, instituted in that in that fear that the state has over everybody that, you know, if you don't clap properly, you'll go to gulag. And they do actually do know that they'll go to gulag. Stay, keep your head down. Make sure you're clapping. Don't be an individual because if they see it, they it's that unconscious bias is almost enforced in that kind of system. But... I think you're probably going to argue that it's very, very much real in our system too. Yeah, I would, but I didn't want to dwell on it. I'm just trying to make no, a couple no, I examples know. of how one unconscious bias can feed a whole bunch of other types of yeah. bias. So that's just one example of conformity bias. Yeah. So another one would be um, a lot of the people in in the south in the states when during the slave trade and stuff would say blacks are savages. They would just outright say all people with black skin are savages. And the, the congruence to today's or, or modern um, racism is more along the lines of, well, look how much black on black crime there is in all these inner cities and stuff. Um, black people are violent. And that's just not true. The fact no, of the matter is... Being in that, that situation makes you violent. <laughs> generations of oppression lead up and a whole bunch of like modern day suppression lead towards people being more anxious, more insecure. And we're talking about people who can't afford healthcare, who are month to month, barely affording rent, maybe living in project housing Not without, eating um, right. without power. They don't have internet access. They don't have cable TV. Clean water. So we're talking about we have the same like problem. Up here. The idea of the black on black violence being something ingrained in their culture or in the in their biology is flat out false. 
Uh, we know for a fact that if you put people into tense situations or back them up against the wall, all human beings become more aggressive. All animals do it too. That's the whole saying of, mm. you know, being cornered and getting your back up. It's based on like animals doing it. So that extends also into our, our wars that go overseas to the, uh, the Middle East, saying that because nations have rules against women and things like that, um, that Arabs are all misogynists or that Islam promotes terrorism. And that's an attribution bias. You're attributing an entire group of people or uh, followers or skin color, or whatever your specific, not yours, but whatever a person's specific reasoning is in their mind that leads them to make that jump to a conclusion. Mm. It's the unconscious bias that prevents them from analyzing its vol uh, validity. So the unconscious bias not only feeds the conformity bias or the gender bias, um, it also feeds things like uh, attribution bias. And that type of bias leads us to justify things like war. It leads us to justify our own invasions as being a hero peacekeeping force when we're murdering people or dropping bombs on civilians as accidents. When an accident happens from another country's leader, that's considered terrorism and they're killing their own people. That's mm. reason enough for them to spark a, uh, a civil war. So in um, the case of the states funding Libya, or I mean, Libya's funding of other socialist movements across the world, whether it's in Italy or um, where else? They were in, uh, <clears throat> they were funding Nicaraguan uh, socialists, which the American was funding the right wing. The Sandinistas. Fascists. Yeah, the Sandinistas. And, um, oh. Well, I had a bunch of examples. Anyway, we'll get into that after. Anyway. Yeah, there's a you go look at military so, interventionism or American interventionism. The issue, the issue we had with Libya's government was that they were funneling uh, funneling money through terrorists, and those terrorists were doing things like blowing up airplanes and airports and things like that, causing mm -hmm. collateral damage. But on the flip side, <clears throat> when the Americans accidentally drop a bomb on a bunch of civilians or a hospital or something, it's deemed just it's part of war. It's collateral damage. They shrug it off because we're the heroes. We can't possibly be the bad guys. And this translates over to like Israel. When Israel bombs a journalist, no big deal. They're just, oh, they were in the building. They knew the, they knew the risks when they went there. It's their, it's a tragedy, but oh well, can't be helped. But on the flip side, you don't see the Palestinians who have way less technology and targeting program that you don't see them killing journalists by accident. You know, it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that type of um, differentiation that we make is unconscious, where we just justify our own actions if people look like us, again, the affinity bias saying white people can't do wrong, or if they do do wrong, it's less severe. And by less severe, I mean, um, when Libya funds a terror group and that terror group takes out an act like bombing a discotheque in Germany, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, 12 or a couple dozen American civilians die, then it's attack on America. But when America drops a bomb in Afghanistan and kills an entire, like, high-rise building full of people, then it's just collateral damage. And the way that we justify that is our unconscious bias screaming out, preventing us from analytically looking at our own values and positions on things that should be objectively true or false. If we abhor murder, of civilian populations and we're willing to go to war and invade a country and depose governments because they're killing their own civilians, there should be in zero cases okay for us 
to kill civilians and perpetrate the same crimes that we're invading them for. Unless it's a one-time thing and it fixes the entire war. Ooh, yeah, That's okay, that, that last point has a few implications to it. Right, so again, um, but now, as someone who's studied war quite a bit, that's, um, I'm not actually arguing against the uh, a bias, but that's a bit unreasonable. Uh, you can't have a war without killing civilians. It's yeah, not we possible. Dis we disagree on when. That's why I said from the beginning. Oh, when. Okay. We're going to disagree on, the, on where that line is. But what mm -hmm. I'm saying is it should be objectively true that if our only reason for invading a country is because they're killing their own civilians, by that logic alone, yeah, we should no, not be not allowed good... to kill their civilians. No. Um, but that's, that's like, that would be a good reason to be like, why did we start this if we're just going to kill them? But at that's the same time, a whole other episode. yeah, it's a whole other episode. And like, I, I'm definitely like, if we don't want them messing with our country, we shouldn't be messing with their country. Well, but they're killing each other. So yeah, it's hell over there. That sucks for them. But if we actually decide to go to war with someone, um, the thing, I, I just, my thought is the, should be lying towards as few as possible. Do whatever you can to without destroying operational integrity because you have to actually win the war. <laughs> so I think the line is very circumstantial. But line yeah. moves, but one can say for sure, no matter how much you earn, if you earn more than me, that's true or false. You, you don't need to know exactly what degree the gradient is. No. You do need to say that it's not okay for one person to accidentally kill a journalist, like Saudi Arabia assassinating Jamal Khashoggi. They're completely fine not going to war over that. Yeah. They went to war in Syria over um, a gas attack that landed in a building and accidentally killed people. So, yeah, that was very... Even that uh, that gas attack, there was some circumstantial stuff with it and everyone's just like, well, we're going to interpret it like this and go to war. And then Russia's like, well, we're going to attack because we're going to interpret the gas attack like this. And the Syrians are all just like, we're already at war. <laughs> so, In all reality, the Cold War never really ended. That whole Russia-US feud. So, as soon as US starts going into Syria on false pretenses, it makes logical sense for mm -hmm. any government like Russia, like if we were in that same position, it would make sense to discuss and consider that option too. Mm -hmm. So our unconscious bias to say that like Russians are the bad guys and you know Bashar al-Assad was the bad guy. Well just you know 10 years ago Bashar al-Assad wasn't the bad guy. Like the US was hailing it or not 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, well, it's the same with the Mujahideen in the 80s. Like that's like the Taliban are our beast that we create. Well, not ours. We're Canadian. Uh, and they do the Americans. a lot of things too, not just people and groups. They do yeah. drugs, right? The war on drugs, while that was occurring, uh, they were also importing 80% of the country's highly addictive cocaine through the CIA. Yeah. So, like, so that they could find money, went to the CIA in a, in a covert budget. CIA gave guns to the Contras in Nicaragua mm -hmm. so that they could fight another regime no different from Gaddafi supporting other socialist parties or whatever. And then those people mass murdered tons of other civilians. Again, no different from that in Libya. 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 And yeah. then from that, they sold the drugs to their own people so that they could make money and feed back the war. <laughs> yeah, the first Gulf War. <laughs> so the yeah. issue with that, though, is I'm not saying that the bias caused it, 
but it made it worse. So as soon as somebody did the action once and it was justified reasonably to the public, the public was more readily um, able to, to side with the government's actions or defend themselves or consider themselves the heroes in international politics, even when by and large, most situations didn't objectively come to that, draw that same conclusion. I'll agree it was nebulous and there's gray areas in between and nobody's good or evil. Well, what but I'm to thinking, say that, that it oh. was a rational or reasonable thing to do is entirely predicated on someone's judgment when they don't have any information on the time. Yeah. And that judgment is based on their unconscious biases. My thought is that um, it might, like this Machiavellianism, um, like essentially political ends justify the means, um, is... It goes back pretty far, you know, you get the Kermit Hoover and the Iran Iranian overthrow and stuff like that. But I forget where I was going to take this. Sorry. It's, it's the ideas that we have just kind of ingrained into us. Like the ideas yeah. that the Middle East has always been at war, there will always be war there. That's just not the case. Well, and it's like Ireland. We only that, live a certain They're not lifetime. fighting each other constantly. What's like, that? That's, Ireland shows that that to be true. Cause, right. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, I remember when I was a kid, it's like, Ireland's always going to be a problem. It's like, oh, I, the Irish are bombing each other. And it's like, now it's like, we should go to Ireland. It sounds nice. And <laughs> that's a good vacation destination. Oh, you want to like just see the entire countryside and like don't tell everyone your religion or something. But like other than that, like they seem like a nice but people. Again, most Irish people are perfectly fine. Most of them aren't violent radicals. So it would yeah. be really, really reprehensible if any country started bombing Ireland and killing Irish civilians for no reason other than the fact that they were living and working in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Like we would know that's flat out objectionable. That would be cause to go to war with somebody, right? Right. But like in the case of brown people, we're saving them. <laughs> and that whole idea of like brown or black people are savages, even if people don't say it outright, the mentality is there. And you can tell that it's there because of the way judges prosecute people of color. You can tell yeah. it based on the way red line districting changed the way like mortgage loans were issued or insurance providers would offer insurance to housing people who own their own mm -hmm. homes, but who were of a wrong color, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have property valuations plummeting because this is a black area and that's a white area. So even if you have a shittier house in a white area, it's worth more than a nice house in your black area because mm -hmm. of red line districting. And then you have something with the school systems where like at a time you could only go to school if you were within a certain number of distance from, from where that school was, right? Yeah, so sort of, I think that's a problem in the States where they, you can't go a, to a, you have to go to a shitty school yeah, and with that's a, logistics a cop issue. at the door. Like to a government, that's just, well, we should have people not driving as far as possible to put their kids in school. We should just have all of our schools be good and they just go to the nearest one so that commute times, traffic goes down, accidents go down, et cetera, et cetera. But once you've got districting in place, you wind up with schools that are predominantly impoverished neighborhoods. Therefore, they receive lower amounts of tax revenues from the homeowners in the neighborhoods. Ergo, the schools are underfunded in those neighborhoods. And that mm -hmm. perpetuates the cycle of crime and violence in those neighborhoods because now you have less educated people who aren't aware of better options. They don't see it being possible to break out of their situation. And they're being shaked down by police just for walking down the street. And mm -hmm. they see it constantly. That fuels anger over a lifetime. 
And that makes a person snap in a really tense situation. Not wouldn't, all the time, but sometimes. Wouldn't that but cause that an unconscious... white people snap. <laughs> right. Wouldn't it cause an unconscious bias on their side too? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you grow up in the neighborhood and you think like, you know, you get this like unconscious bias of the street hoodlum and um, they start thinking and they start buying that um, uh, the message of like uh, this is or something. Yeah, that's culture of honor kind of thing where it's just like, you know, someone slights you, you got to fight, things are, you got to be hard and all that stuff. It's like, well, yeah, you do have to be hard in life, but it doesn't mean you, you know, start a fight when someone looks at you funny. Uh, just tell them to screw off. Um, I'm being polite. But at the same time, you get um, that would form their own unconscious bias. And for maybe they would even start to, you know, form an oppositional culture on the streets that really doesn't help their case. Um, you know, again, the harm I would say from the unconscious bias is that it fuels another bias. Like predominantly yeah. the harm is that it fuels another bias. So like, uh, in the case of black neighborhoods, um, think about a, a young black woman feeling unpretty and trying to straighten her hair and put bleach on her skin to, to lighten up the, the tone of her skin. That type of harm is like an anxiety sort of disorder harm or like an eating disorder harm or, um, yeah. you know what I mean? Or like an obsession with materiality and things so they might be more prone to shoplifting because they never have the money to buy it for themselves, but they also don't want to just feel ugly every day of their life. So there's a beauty bias too, mm-hmm. where they think that, oh, I didn't get this job because I'm black. Even if it wasn't the case, like, yeah, people oh, okay, yeah. go to job interviews and don't get hired. But there was a person with an unconscious bias of rage, racial prejudice, and if that racial prejudice is real, even more so, but with that unconscious bias in their mind, they might start thinking everything is against them instead of no, just many things being against them. There was a there was a there was a black woman. Um, I think it was it was months ago that uh, Brett Weinstein was interviewing, uh, and she was explaining essentially exactly that. Where she'd go down the road and be like those white people are being, you know, are they, are they acting differently because I'm black? And it's just, she was just like the whole podcast is what about her trying to overcome her unconscious bias and trying to see unconscious bias in people because she's like, no, no, they're just white people having a walk or because there's a couple white people that are actually like black people. Uh, (laughs) And like it happens once or twice. And then there's a, there's, there's the history and is everyone telling everyone that, uh, you know, overcorrecting to some extent is a thing that's happening? Um, you get those people going to black people and just like bowing and apologizing in the most sycophantic way. And it's, 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 it doesn't help. Um, but at the same time, you get that bias on the inside. It's like, um, what if I am? what if people do treat me differently? And it's, that's, that's a nagging, that's a horrible clear question to be asked. Like, what if I am? We all ask this like question, like go up to a job interview. You say, well, what if I'm not good enough for the job? What if they don't like me because of the shirt choice I wore? Like, what if, what if, what if? And you have all these biases, like, and the bias ends up as you're going up to a job interview, I suck. <laughs> and then you come out of it and you're like, okay, I nailed it. Awesome. And you have another bias. It's like, I'm 
great <laughs> and it's okay but when it's on such an arbitrary thing such as uh you know skin color uh it's not going to be healthy and you're going to walk down the street and you're going to have to fight that 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 thing and like um and then like on the other side everyone's wondering if they're racist and i don't envy that position uh that a person of color um has when going into situations that they don't know they have that extra factor to deal with when going into unknown situations are they gonna care about the fact that i am a this color or that color um and for the most part i guess in canada no <laughs> but if it does happen you have a human rights tribunal that you can go to uh and you can bring the weight of the government down on their heads so use it obviously but like don't like expect you have to use your conscious your explicit uh part of your brain to fight that and that's probably we're gonna probably get to more of that later so i'll let you keep going yeah well in, in keeping with the job interview thing like you'd mentioned in a prior episode even that um you like to shake someone's hand and look them in the eyes yeah <clears throat> because then you can see if they're a right fit all that yeah nothing they, against that most like good business owners do that because that's the easiest way to have cohesive structure within a company and an organization which makes them more profitable but not only that it makes the other all the employees are happier but the issue with that is it reduces diversity in the company just inherently. Hmm. So it may not mean that you don't hire a black person. Uh, not you, but I mean like, sorry, let me change that. <laughs> it may not affect whether or not you hire a black person because you're not racist, right? I try to be. For somebody else who is unconsciously, subtly racist, or maybe just saw some crazy thing in the news with a bunch of people sh uh, shootouts and drive-bys, or maybe they live in a neighborhood that's right across the street from where all, a lot of the black-on-black uh, -black violence is happening, so they see it constantly. Yeah. Um, and that's stuff that we can't really factor out or control. But even deeper than that is the idea or the approach of saying um, trying to fit a person for a culture is easier for the manager and the company to manage. But in reducing the diversity of thought and of experience and wealth and breadth of knowledge and, and whatever, you're actually you're weakening the long-term viability of a company. But that's almost not an issue because most companies don't hire anybody who stays there longer than three years now. Almost yeah. all business has turnover way higher than it used to be in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, so it's complicated in the sense that everything's constantly moving and shifting. And mm -hmm. the balance is never actually sitting at equilibrium. It's constantly swinging past the equilibrium on both sides. Mm -hmm. So it'll get adjusted, then it'll get adjusted, then it'll get adjusted, and so on. So the, the issue isn't necessarily that we need to like squash it out and tamp it out entirely. But the issue is we should be analyzing our approaches to things to try and minimize or mitigate those those risks. So what I would I would conjecture, and this is just personal opinion, I would say that the temporary cost or expense, that slight cost or expense of having a slightly different culture, in the long run is beneficial for the country, so we should just voluntarily do it. And I certainly wouldn't advocate for having a government impose that regulation on how I hire staff because that's just invasive. 
No. Well, so, that that would actually end up limiting your choices. You have to have this, and like all and like you get worse employees. Too. Well, if you live in a neighborhood, like if you're if one of your businesses is in a neighborhood that has predominantly like one group of people, like doesn't matter what it is, and they all and you get like one group of people applying, it's just like, oh man, what do I do? Like I can't win here. Um, so like only Asians applied. This is such a weird statistical anomaly, but it happened, and now I'm gonna get a fine. <laughs> so and it's like you said, it flips to both sides. So on the other yeah. side of things, and trying to accommodate for for black people and culture in academics, they have colleges all over the states where they have segregated dorms. Well, and that's the and they say because we want you to feel comfortable, so you're gonna be in a, a building with all black people next to you, all black students. Like, but that, like that's, that's segregation by definition. That's literally well. And the thing is, is that we know segregation doesn't work because well, South Africa, and um, well, the South too. And uh, but okay, I could just go on listing yeah. stuff. But <laughs> but the thing is, is that it we the it seems like the best weapon that we have against racism is just for people to just meet other people of that race. It's like, oh, I just met a whole bunch of Filipino people and now they're just people to me. Now he's not Filipino, he's, you know, Paul <laughs> now. And that's that's how you, you just have to humanize them. And yeah, there's going to be people that are racist, but generally those people are in my, in, in my experience, a lot of people are like that, not because they actually like are scientifically racist, like some kind of Nazi, but when you actually sit down and work on it and they still persist in that, in that racism, it's usually because they have a psychological condition mm. and not like one that's like racism is a psychological condition. It's like, no, they're probably depressed and trying to blame it on someone lashing out. I know I lashed out, not racially, but just generally it's like Important screw the caveat. world. <laughs> well, when I was younger, I, I like wasn't happy all the time. You're a teenager. And so what do you do? You lash out and I lashed out like walls, <laughs> but and that's one I of think, the helpful psychological benefits of sports too, is because it allows us to find groups that we can conform to and find a little safe, cozy place so we can we can put our prejudices onto a jersey instead of onto human beings. And yeah. People. We can we should, all hate the ref, knowing that we don't personally despise the individual human whose job it is to referee it again. Yeah. And that's a good way to tell if someone has not an implicit bias, but like, oh, they have an implicit bias. It's like, no, they have a mental condition that they need to work on where instead of like going like, oh, that was a good game. My team lost those so bad. And if they go like, the Canadians are the worst team. I hate the fact that they beat my team or that ref doesn't know anything. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you need anger management <laughs> because you are taking what happened as an affront to something that is trivial. And this is also an example of one thing, uh, one of the things I noticed when I was going over this is that these biases, we're talking about these implicit biases, they can form around any factor. Like, and everyone thinks, well, it's racism. We're talking about racism because it's easy and obvious and everyone's talking about it. But it can be around like types of pottery. It can be around a color. Um, go look up uh, ancient sports in Rome and the fights in like, Byzantium or uh, Constantinople over like the blues and the greens and stuff like that. The chariot race teams, um, hobbies. I don't know. 
Warhammer versus Magic cards. I hear people mm-hmm. died over that one. No, I'm making that up. <laughs> but um, Dragon, the music preferences. Oh yeah, you're a punk guy. Oh, well, I'm a I'm a rap guy. It's just like, and like the heavy metal guy is just sitting there in a suit going, yes. <laughs> you know, classical people get so offended when they oh. hear classical pieces in uh, in, in jazz. Yeah, it's being mixed and scratched and totally like butchered. To me, a commercial gets me because I I, I don't like the commercialism. Like it's a piece of art. Like you're just dragging it through the mud. Like any piece of art. Um, but um, sex people get. It's like you know people and people are starting to form groups around group bias groups around like sexual behavior, which I is mystifying and. Please don't have a parade with your gimp suit well, on. It's amazing to think that it's not that long ago. The government used to impose its will on people on their ability or willingness or like participation in sodomy. Sodomy. It used oh. to be illegal to have anal sex. Totally right. not my bag. But like, if There's... somebody wants to do it and they're not hurting somebody else doing it, then why does that have anybody else's in- input? Like, yeah. It, it's really what people do behind closed doors is really um, their own business. And I mean, that should go without saying, but again, we're on the internet. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you reading? How dare you read that? It's like, it's just a comic book. <laughs> like, but um, if somebody's not of age to give consent. They're not allowed to say that it's okay for me. Right. Because and that's consent. That's different. We're not saying your whole life you have to do this. We're just saying until you're old enough to make that decision wisely for yourself. Mm-hmm then we don't want you taken advantage of. Sorry, you'll have to put off your anal sex till you're 18 so that, you know, at well, least we know that you're not being raped. Like the that, concept like, of the age of reason where it's like you are now able to be, and that that's kind of one of those things where bias comes with responsibility. Like you you have a kid and their biases are going to be everywhere because they're learning like children are just messes of chaotic impulse and so you have these little bias goblins running around yelling things that they've just heard and having these biases and like they'll form by they'll form like implicit biases over stupid stuff like your classes uses that textbook wow you guys are so dumb everyone in class b is just an idiot (laughs) like it doesn't like and then they'll just forget about that bias because you know they won't care about the textbooks like you've even mentioned before too when you were in school that there was a height bias that played against you because you were shorter than other people people would pick on you just because you were shorter and i was new usually um i moved schools like 15 times so like i was always the new kid which you know the new kids like you know he's new (laughs) but just like there's a gender bias like misogyny or sexism or whatever. There's also yeah. like height bias, beauty bias, like we talked about, where they think that only white people are pretty or only Asian people are pretty, uh, only straight hair is pretty, only blondes are pretty, like all these types of little things. But when you see them repeatedly on TV um, now, but like before on billboards, magazines, comic books, um, when you see it constantly, it's not you're not processing it at the front of your mind, you know, you're using your subconscious, the back of your mind, that deep primal brain, then it's drawing patterns for you to try and speed up cognition. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to to sort of step into is the reason why we tolerate these types of bias inflations through unconscious bias is because it's much, much harder to constantly be analyzing and overthinking every type of judgment and where it came from and what stemmed uh, that thought and how long have you thought it and who told it to you first and how many people agree with you like 
all those things are way too hard and complicated to think about every time you pour cream and sugar into your coffee. Every time you choose something to wear, every time you, uh, you, you choose to pronounce a, a word differently or, mm. you know, whatever, because like, oh, well, I, I've got a twang accent or something like that because I'm from the South. Uh, trying to hide that, for instance, if you've moved up north and people are making fun of you for your, for your accent. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you're like an astrophysicist. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, even if you don't think about like, I need to change this about myself to fit in with other people, if you just move to another country, you will pick up their accent. Yeah. So if, if you or I moved to England, we would start speaking with a British accent in 20, 30, 40 years or something like that. It takes mm -hmm. time the older you are because your, your language is built so early in life. But it's just an example. Like taste in music is another one. If you listen to exclusively one type of music constantly and nothing else your whole life, it's going to be very, very hard for you to not get that disgust reaction <clears throat> from another type of set or symbols or tympanic structures. To jazz. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand jazz at all. I get it. I just, I'm kind of mad about it, but. <laughs> yeah. But I know every single person I've met who likes jazz, their parents like jazz too. And I mean, that's only a, like a dozen or so people. So it's not a very big sample size. But what I'm saying is it's sort of indicative about our environment having our impact. So that whole nature versus nurture type of thing. It's mm -hmm. not one or the other. It's both and it's constant. But um, having, having it be that complicated to think about every thought and interaction that you have with people is sort of like trying to factor in math. Everybody hates factoring equations in math because it's really hard to do for your brain. Not that it's the question that you're, you're doing is really hard because we do way more complex maths with trigonometry and all that, but the symbols are more uh, available to us for those types of things. Whereas with factoring, you yourself have to look at a single block of a polynomial and break it into its constituent parts by your brain just testing every possible hypothesis. And this is why encryption works, harkening back to our data episode, encryption works by factoring primes. And the only way to do that is to try every single one of them one at a time. And it's really labor intensive even for a computer to do it. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine factoring things out from a brain, trying to figure out how this one whole thought came split from an amalgam of other thoughts or an aggregation of other experiences or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we're naturally averse to even the process of analyzing our biases because not only are they uncomfortable and not only do they make us defensive, but they make us question our, our identity and our character at a level that's almost insulting to ourselves. Yeah. So like biologically, we are hardwired to do it. And we're also biologically hardwired not to prevent doing it. Well, one of the reasons, like you see things like we, things like astrology where we, well, everyone will be like, which is essentially uh, an unconscious bias machine. You're like this, you're like this, you're like this. But then when we actually see, when we actually start, when you say something like, well, that's stupid. I'm not a Leo. I'm like actually just me. I have this, 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 this. It's just like, oh man, am I actually like this? Um, one of my favorites like this is um, musicians again, who uh, my wife plays in a number of bands, or at least she did before COVID. And um, what would happen was you get people be like, oh, 
you're such you de- you're definitely a like a piccolo player or you're definitely a, a, a trombonist or you're definitely a tuba person or you're definitely a percussion guy it's just mm. then this will happen and the thing is is that that stereotyping is somewhat correct to some extent uh because there's some truth in it um there's enough truth in it to be like yeah that guy looks like a guy that would pick up a, a a trumpet and be like, yeah, this is me. Now you were creating sounds and stuff like that. But at the same time, you can understand that there's that knowledge that there's that knowledge that, you know, trumpet players are a certain way, but it doesn't actually help you in any way, uh, in a, in, in interpersonal settings, you know, trumpet players are this, he's like this. So I have to act like this and this, and like you said, we don't have to work like that. You can't just go and map out a conversation with somebody, you know, based on what you know about their implicit biases, what you know about your implicit biases, how they're going to react to this. And that's not how anything works. It's not how people work. You can't mathematically construct a conversation from biases because it doesn't work. They don't work like that. You, you have to go and use your, um, you know, impulsiveness. Uh, in a sort of a passive way for the conversation to even happen, which means, you know, the fact that they're a trumpet player or black or whatever doesn't end up mattering. You have to take them as an individual. But <laughs> there's always a but. Yeah, and it, it can be fun because it, again, it tickles our brains. Yeah. We, well, we know yeah. that we have the biases, like racial biases, for instance, and that's what makes racist jokes funny. The joke would be not funny whatsoever. It would make zero sense if people literally didn't have unconscious biases. Can you believe black people it. always have mad models of the space shuttle? It's like, <laughs> what? No, they don't. <laughs> Why do black people like the space shuttle so much? It's like, or like the idea that every Star Trek no, fan tries to learn Klingon and plays with their friends and like their greasy friends in a basement with tight pants and. You know, all these stereotypes that we can make fun of and they're funny in cartoons and comics and because we can identify with that thought. Yeah. Having had it. Not that we ascribe to it or believe it or that we're so, it's so unconscious. It's just, it's so obvious that we call it a stereotype because we use it and see it so often. Mm-hmm. And like to say that we should make things not funny anymore is just a bad approach to anything in life. Yeah. So if something's funny, we just got to find a way for it to not be harmful and still be funny. So well, maybe that means dialing it down. Maybe it means choosing where you tell the joke. Maybe it means, you know, time think, and place and just like discretion on, on the speaker. But well, I doesn't think mean a joke should never be said. I think with comedy in specific, when you're talking about biases, I think it's open season because it's comedy. And you say, okay. I'm going to tell some off-color jokes up here about, and they point it like me. It's like, look at that white guy right there. And you know that in the audience, he doesn't actually hate you. He's pointing out true things in a funny way. He's going to exaggerate. There's going to be hyperbole. But at the end of the day, he's not out to get you like someone who's just like, you know, uh, comes out and is like, it doesn't come from a place of anger. Like, um, one of the best examples of this was, um, the guy who played Kramer, uh, he went up and did some like comedy stuff and then he just, he like looked down at a guy and he called him the N word. Like that was coming from a place of anger. That was coming from a place of prejudice. He was actually being racist there. Um, and that's the difference. It's, 
it's a very subtle line, but you can say whatever you want in the name of comedy. And that doesn't mean you can say whatever you want in the name of comedy. But if you are doing it from an honest position of um, joy, you're exalting the differences between people. You're not bringing them down. It's like, man, can you believe black people do this? And you're, you're, you're making fun of them because you're, you love them to some extent. <laughs> and that's what it is. And so you're just, you're pointing out your biases, not because you hate them, but because you care enough to point something ridiculous about them out, about their particular idiomatic difference in society, because you think that they would identify it with, with it enough to, you know, um, come along for the ride, uh, essentially. And so what you end up doing is, it's the intention that that matters, and you. But I think and I think that's a very nuanced. Hmm? Oh no, it's definitely up to interpretation. But my, in, generally, my interpretation of your intention is not fair. No, but that's why we have it so ceremonialized. That's why we have oh, uh, stand-up comedy be like, I'm up here, and if they come up there and they stomp up and be like, you know, nuts to this group, they're gonna be like, this isn't funny. This guy actually doesn't like those people. That's where I disagree with you, though, because that's part of that gradient. That's yes. Well, no, it's 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 a it's a it's a conversation. Comedy is one of those things where you go there expecting someone to say things that's going to shock you. It's not the same as a state of a union address. It's not no. the state. It's not the same as like a boardroom meeting. It's not the same as being on a bus stop. No, but I'm saying it's customary. There's customary things that we do to to signal it. And you, but the thing is, is that we can also tell like with those um subconscious things where if someone's has you know it's just like you know you get a sense that this guy's actually not coming from a place of joy uh, <laughs> so but and, to me that would just make me stop supporting michael richards oh yeah definitely like you i'm not gonna I mean? be like, like well i liked him in seinfeld so is that his, his job is to shock people i would yeah. never fire him for shocking people he should be allowed to say whatever he wants on a comedy stage and people should be like, okay, that's not even close to funny and just stop paying him. Yeah, which is like the market decides and but it's the last market. That's the same market. as like being a bakery and denying a gay wedding cake. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that, th there's a huge difference between being discriminatory about people and not being upfront with it and being upfront with um, how belligerent you're going to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And then people getting offended after the fact when they went there and paid good money in order to be offended. Yeah. Like that. But again, it's just because that's my preference. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying no. there is a gradient slide, but certain things should be um, objectively uncouth. Like saying that at a state of a union address or making co a comedy routine uh, at the White House dinner or whatever, like they do, right? Yeah, and they roast the people in in politics. That's presidential one of those dinner. really really iffy places where yeah, you're a comedian, but you can't quite say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's you, you, the gesture is like here's your lines. It's like I'm a I'm I'm an ad lib comedian or whatever they call them. Um, imp improv. improv guy. It's like and you're giving me a script. <laughs> Why did you hire me? <laughs> the best is that I can't remember her name. I I really feel bad if I say her name wrong, but I think her name was Rachel Walsh or Welsh or something like that. And um, <clears throat> who is the other one? Um, 
There were a couple of them recently, just in the last like 10 years or so that have really, really offended a lot of the politicians and stuff. But like at the time, the politicians were making racist policies. <laughs> so it, well, and again, that's a gray area of where you want to permit that type of public outspokenness, but also give some leeway to a comedian who's on stage doing comedy. One of like Canada's got a definite, um, uh, institutionists like you see the cbc had those like air farce and this hour 22 minutes was which was literally just like all right let's make everyone's fair game (laughs) those were and those were like didn't matter who you were didn't matter what party you were on it's non-partisan like everyone's fair game which was kind of neat but even um, Jean Chrétien is like, because he had a stroke or something, I can't remember exactly why, but Jean Chrétien, yeah. our old prime minister, used to have a, he had a part of palsy, his stroke, right? Yeah. That was fair game for everyone. Oh, Maybe yeah. It was virtue signaling or like cancel culturing. Look at me, I am the prime minister of Canada. Because the way we saw it, it was just a distinct trait. It's a I'm caricature to make fun of it. It's, it's, we know that it's so inane and it's so superficial that it can't possibly be... Um, taken seriously Mm -hmm. but if we did that now like try making the movie like my dad says try making the movie blazing saddles in today's cancel culture (laughs) blazing saddles is you just couldn't (laughs) like you'd get boycotts and riots and you know people would be all up in arms about like falling to pieces over a movie and you're like really that's kind of the place for movies is to keep it on screen and not in the real life. Well, and That's like anything we Mel Brooks made, really. <laughs> Murder is everywhere in every movie and book you can read now. Like, yeah. To say that because we abhor murder that we can't ever display it on TV is insane. Yeah. We would just do it anyway. But I think that gets down to the whole, uh, the gray area. And what I wanted mm-hmm. to focus on with the unconscious bias is the way it fuels other biases that aren't so gray. Right. So the way it exaggerates or exacerbates things that we can't control that are just, you know, subtle and latent and just nudge, nudge here and there and turns them into big, huge things like supporting a war effort that is premised or predicated on on events, which we've within the same realm of context and time frame also perpetrated ourselves. And I think that that's the bigger harm is because we're causing destruction and contributing and enabling it. And we're promoting it, not mm-hmm. all of us, but enough of us in large enough groups. And we're not even second guessing it and we're not even questioning it. And because we're not questioning it, it gets worse and worse, okay. uh, not better. And then to counteract that type of aggressive movement, you have a counter aggressive movement like terrorism that has never been so prevalent before. And terrorism spawns from a hatred of a group of people. It is just as racist as bombing people who are brown just because they're brown and we're heroes because we're white. It's a bit reductionist. (laughs) It's a personal opinion on whether or not that specific war was caused by racism. I get that. But what I'm saying is the justification by politicians is inherently uh, dredging up the latent biases of the people to garner their support. They're doing that intentionally. Mm-hmm. They hire psychologists and statisticians and they do polls. They know exactly what they're doing when they're trying to make people angry and rile them up to have some kind of boogeyman. Well, you see this every election. That's exactly what they're doing. They've got like 
they've got um, psychologists, marketing psychologists going like, we need to have this image. This is what you need to do. You need to have like this or that. This is how you win this election. And like for someone like me, look at me, I'm so fancy. No, but I've spent like 10 years learning how to see my own biases because in the field I was studying, like I have to be able to pick these things out and I have to be able to pick them out quick enough to, you know, get on with the next uh, reading or the next primary source because it's like, why is this person writing like this? What's the thing? And so you see a campaign ad and you're just like, assholes. <laughs> they think this is going to work. And like, it's so blatantly uh, obvious on both sides. But like, if someone, like, I don't think everyone needs well, it would be nice, but I don't think everyone can uh, have that level of uh, bias awareness because not everyone needs to, like some people just, that's not their, it's not what they're going to be doing with their life. I can't let, it's like everyone gets 10 years of bias training and uh, by reading history, it's no one's going to do that. And the uh, last thing we want is everybody walking down the street, pointing at each other saying, oh, you got an unconscious bias. You got an unconscious bias. Well, because everybody the, has them all the time. Yeah. That's the and, problem. And so, any test that you get administered is not going to actually show unconscious bias. You can show, you can figure them out for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it takes introspection. But it's uncomfortable. It's deeply is, uncomfortable to, to, yeah. to question yourself and your moral virtue. You know what I mean? Yeah. And on any topic, it's like, well, why do I like, uh, PCs over Macs? Well, it's an unconscious bias. Well, even going into that one myself would be like a little uncomfortable because it's like, oh, I'm being stupid. <laughs> So but I would I'm, say it, it ceases to be an unconscious bias once you address it consciously. Even if yes. your opinions don't change. Like, I'm not suggesting that everybody would just analyze it, figure it out, and then change their beliefs. Belief systems take time to change. You don't just change them overnight, even when presented with information. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's why, like, someone changed my mind on the internet. Like, that's not a thing. Like, I posted something on Reddit, and I changed people's mind, and I'm part of the issues. Like, that's why we have long-form discussions, because people can't just be like, like the media, like CNN, Fox, will post something saying, like, this is what, you know, change your mind on this issue because we showed you a graph and like, no, that's never going to change anyone. Like, why do they even expect that to work? Because and it, it reinforces. Because people need, yeah, it reinforces the biases of the people that already have it. You're not going to change right. anyone's minds it's because if you want to change someone's minds, you have to give them reading. You have to give them reasons. You have to give them like, Context. Uh, you have, yeah, context is exactly. And you need, they, like, I need, it's like, well, I believe this and it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, what about this? I don't know anything about that. You know, you have to enlighten them. And that's why we have, that's like why we're making this because, you know, two hour discussion is the bare minimum <laughs> of what you need to actually start changing your mind. Um, this is like, this is setting up the tea. This isn't hitting it into the, okay, this is a terrible metaphor. No, no, that works. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> just putting the tee down for you. You got to hit it up. You got to drive that ball yourself. But not even, I don't even golf. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really important about that too is the, um, the argument factor to it. If you mm. go into an argument thinking you're going to change someone's mind, you're arguing wrong. Yes. That's not how you argue. 
You That's... argue to show them all the data that you have and all of your opinions and points of views so that hopefully they could eventually draw that same conclusion out after thinking about it and ruminating on it. Because people don't just change their minds in a moment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we have debates. And debates aren't debates like, are who's going to win? <laughs> debates are like, can we come to some bigger truth yeah, by bringing again, these two about, things together? It's about pulling out the best arguments for both sides so we can objectively look at something that we are personally defensive when we try and analyze ourselves. So having a discussion with another person is easier to do that in pulling out our own unconscious biases if they disagree with you, not really if they agree with you because then it's mm -hmm. just an echo chamber. But if you disagree with a person, voicing your disagreement to them should not be about changing the other person. It should be about getting as much as you can from the other person to see where they're coming from. Yeah. That, that so, to me is productive. And yeah. And at the end, you could be like, wow, that guy's an idiot. But you learned about what that what that particular subset of idiocy in our society knows and now and maybe you did waste your time but uh, or maybe it reinforces your own belief systems and opinions too in the disagreement because then yeah. you finally say well this person i've never heard that argument before but that argument's even worse than most of the other arguments <laughs> i've heard so like so now you're better at but now you're better at arguing now, yeah you your side is strength you can That's preempt whole... that strategy next time you have that same discussion with somebody else and maybe the next time you have it somebody smarter than you will make you second guess something and you'll go back and after a year you realize no 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 i should never have changed my opinion yeah like, <laughs> best way to process. do this one of the best ways I find to do this is go back into your Facebook history and see what you used to think. Look at all the cringy stuff that you used to put up there like five, ten years ago and sit there and it's hard. Like my wife doesn't post anything. You just show her pictures of the way she was in 2011. The first time she uh, like did her uh, went to her job that she does, which I'm not going to talk about. But um, and she, she doesn't even want to look at those. And it's just pictures of her of 10 years ago. But like for someone who me, who used to be a bit of a fire breather, um, yeah, I've got, we got episodes on that, but, um, the, um, some of the things I said were just so utterly wrong and stupid, but like to go back, it hurts on such a level right here that I was just saying these things that had no basis in reality or fact because they felt and they seemed right to say at that time. And it hurts the fact that I was so stupid. That was me saying that. It might as well be me saying it now. But seeing the progression to my thing, and I can see that not only was I stupid then and I'm smarter now, but not only that, I can, in, uh, I can induct that I'm probably gonna be stupid now and gonna be smarter later if I, you know, keep on the course I'm on and I'll come up and I'll do that. But it, it is hard and that introspection is necessary. But that's definitely one of the more obvious ways of doing it. And so, but if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't gone back and looked at my old Facebook history or something or seen what I was saying on certain topics that I don't even care about anymore, um, is that I was sitting in kind of a weird echo chamber um, where the biases I had, money is evil, uh, or the biases that I had towards, um, oh, I don't know. 
party politics in Canada in like 2012 or these things. And I was just sitting there and I was going and looking for places where I could. And I think this is what Chris is trying to get at, where my bias would be ignited and I'd find a place or an institution or something that would, that would, that would in reinforce what unconscious biases I was carrying around with me constantly because I don't know, I hadn't actually read uh, the things that I was purporting to read at that time and or I was uh, doing this or that. So, I was acting consciously and unconsciously trying to exacerbate this in others because that's what it seemed to do. So, going around waving a sign at people's faces going like uh, uh, end economic feudalism or something like that, which sounds cool. Uh, but when you examine the biases, it's definitely like that kid's a Marxist. Uh, it's like, no, I'm not actually, how, how could you say that? It's like, cause your unconscious biases are all pointing to the same thing. And so you obviously, you know, if future me would be sitting like, this is what your biases are telling you and you're sitting around being indignant based on it. And this can cause problems. Now, I don't know how much damage I did to society, probably not that much. But if you get millions of people together, all together in the same place, like I was just in Winnipeg with a couple dozen people just sitting around being disgruntled and stuff and, you know, uh, sitting around uh, reifying each other's behavior. But when you get like that's the same behavior you see with the media saying, believe this, you know, this is happening, feel bad because of this. They're, they're playing off of what they know the biases of the groups that they're targeting are in order to exacerbate people's uh, attention and biases so that they can maintain that attention. Um, that's on a larger scale, I think, one of the bigger issues. Mm -hmm. And so, I think, um, and then we go to war. <laughs> sort of touching on what you or mentioned there. Pass the, the Patriot whole, Act. <laughs> yeah, touching on what you mentioned there with the whole socialism, uh, Marxism thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's where where today, and hopefully this isn't you know for the rest of time, but for today they've demonized or sort of made a bad word out of uh, socialism. <clears throat> and we, we've had this discussion before too, so I won't yeah. get too deep into it. Social but democracy. <laughs> in my opinion, the way that word was bastardized, socialism, to meaning something that's negative or raunchy or dirty or something that we want to like avoid attributing to ourselves, mm. that is an, uh, an example of an unconscious bias affecting our opinions because of how often we've heard it used as some kind of derogatory slur. And this is actually sort of similar to um, what I never recognized for the longest time, what gay people would be saying about um, my use of the word gay to just mean something negative, right? I wasn't yeah. saying it because I hated gay people. I had tons of gay friends. Well, this um, is where you get that whole... Well, like four, but... <laughs> yeah, well, when I was in grade four, everyone was being like, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. It's like the thing to call everybody because nobody, like everyone kind of understood what it meant, but no one kind of 
the, cared. The, the reason it, it, it affected the person you're calling gay is because it evokes that disgust thing. They immediately mm-hmm. think, if they're attracted to women, of themselves kissing a man, and they go, ugh. Yeah. So, like, you're gay. So, ugh. if they're actually straight, you're, it works. What you're it's actually like... doing is just poking you to make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with homosexuality or homosexual people. No. When, like, a 10-year-old boy should have no understanding of the reality of that. Um, but I Catholic. agree that we shouldn't encourage the use of that, the misuse of that word if it's causing harm to individual people and, um, and there's no need for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I, I don't agree that they should be able to force me not to use it, but I do agree with them educating me enough to voluntarily not want to use it. Well, so what you, so, and this is like on this to be is like what you would call socialism, I'd call social democracy because yeah. I see in the word socialism, I'm an inherent bias in the word itself because of its roots in communist um, uh, writing. So, yeah. what that would call it's like, well, I just call that social democracy because socialism to me, uh, now this is an explicit bias because I know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. is that socialism to me is, you know, social democracy with um, you know, hidden goodies that help you, you know, collectivize. It's collectivized social democracy, essentially. The implicit portion is your aversion to using <clears throat> the term the way it's textually written. Yeah. Well, on the other side of that, capitalism itself is a word that comes from communist writings. Yeah. Uh, so fully loaded too. It's fully loaded. So like we can call, well, it's f- a lot of people are saying this and they're saying, well, why don't we just, why are we using their terminology? Which is, you know, it's actually a brilliant move by um, the socialists and the communists to uh, get people talking in a certain way because, you know, free market uh, mm. capitalism. Well, okay, yeah, you have two words that mean the same thing from a different direction. So, oh, I'm against free market capitalism. It's like, what the f- are you talking about? <laughs> and so, you know, it's free market, uh, regulated free market is essentially what a social democrat would want like well we want a free market where people can just do whatever business they want but we want it such that there's restraints on what they can do in order to you know uh provide things for people that you know the government to provide things for people and also to uh put checks and balances on the some of the darker sides of this the crony capitalism but and here's where we can also disregard the biases, we can just use the word capitalism because it's easy. <laughs> but it makes sense. It does make sense. You're you're out for capital. Yeah, the <laughs> capital is exactly what capitalism. Yeah, is. and so we've actually could be a self self identifying. We've kind of taken that. Um, now, there's a lot of people who still say capitalism is a problem. It's like, but for for the most part, the capitalists have taken that word away from the socialists and the, and the communists because they're just kind of like, yeah, I am after capital. Yeah. I just don't spit when I say it. <laughs> and so, and it's- that's an interesting sort of analog towards things like racism. Everybody mm-hmm. you ask will say, I'm not racist. Yeah. But many people have racist tendencies that they just don't second guess or question because their unconscious bias leads them to believe that they don't they're not that type of person to be well, a racist. I'm not word a racist. Ra- I'm just a little bit prejudiced. Like, yeah. That's well, racism. It's, well, it's like, I can say like, I'm not racist, but then somebody can say, but then I can also say, I'm not racist, but 
And, you know, <laughs> one of them means one thing, one of them means another. So, like... But how many, pe- how many people, like, precurse what they're gonna say as something that's racist and then say, but? Like, Lindsey yeah. Graham's done it on camera in Senate. Um, Trump has done yeah. it. Bush yeah. has done it. Like, there are people, it's not just, like, you know, your neighborhood watchman down the street or whatever who's got some subtle racism to him, but, like... <laughs> People in government are so oblivious to their own unconscious bias, they will say things like, I'm not racist, but we need to wipe these people off the map. Well, one of my favorites was like Biden's like, you know, uh, (laughs) smart, uh, uh, what is it called? Like black people are just as smart as, uh, uh, as white people or something. Or I know I can't remember. He's like talking about kids going to school. It's like... Uh, smart people are just oh, I can't remember what it was, but he's essentially Oh man, I'm killing this quote. Uh, <laughs> well I guess while you're looking that up, but, I'll just Yeah, oh. it's but you know it, Yeah, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. It's like what? <laughs> like Okay. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Your biases are showing, yeah. first of all. And um, second of all, like you are kind of making Chris's point here. <laughs> but my point is also that everyone does it. Like, yes. I really, really want to stress that I'm not demonizing other people who aren't me for having unconscious bias. I'm saying it's biologically, physically impossible, unless you're the second coming of Christ, to right. be born without bias. And right, it's because impossible for a brain to function the way it does, enable to like do math and arts and walk and eat and swallow and do all the things that human beings can do naturally, which we think is easy. It's mm-hmm. because we compartmentalize layers of abstraction, like we talked about in our abstraction video, yeah. that that from one layer to the other get propagated forward. And that's what an unconscious bias is. It's because you've seen something often enough like Russian or Chinese hackers invading you. When the news reports that there was a hack and that they assume it's a Russian or Chinese hackers, we don't even question the validity of where they got it from. If Mm -hmm. I'm a hacker and I'm able to write code that can infiltrate a government system, you don't think I can translate my code into Russian to make it look like a Russian hack? (laughs) Like, we we have... We to have be machine fair, learning algorithms that are free and open source that will translate anything for you. It's not like some hidden technology they would have had to develop themselves. It's like yeah. open source public software translation services. Well, and to me, it's just like someone says, well, Russian hackers are doing this. I'm like, yeah, no, duh. Every country's got hackers on every other country. Why wouldn't they? That's This is a stupid headline. Nobody <laughs> questions the ethos of a hacker. Most hackers are hackers because they're obsessively into free knowledge that's, yeah and hacking how hackers literally just hackers they tinker yeah. and twiddle with things and they hacker is literally just a computer tinker like that's where the word came from and the, right so their primary modus operandi is to promote freedom of information mm-hmm. number one like none of them part, yeah. or very few of them are country first and i'm going to use hacking to help my country yeah every good hacker starts off with information should be free yeah, li- electronic libertarians. Yeah. So With- to, to suggest that a country's group of hackers is that like a national cohort of, of hacking. No, they're subcontractors. They're no, they are. individuals that are they hired are. by the government for a few thousand dollars, which is dirt cheap, to 
promote an effective spying campaign, essentially, or count. Yeah. What do they call and it? Why Counter wouldn't every country do this? In, in, in the United States, it just happens like that. But like you do have um, China and North Korea infamously has like hacker core of like 60 computers in their country. Um, and they do do that. But like, why wouldn't you have like a computer division? Do you know how like- expensive it is to support somebody for life and hope that they become a good hacker when you can just pay somebody under the table on the dark net? From across that's, the world and be completely separate work. from it. Like, yeah. It is so much cheaper to pay a freelance hacker than it is to have your own homegrown hacking cohort where you then can't let these people out to live normal lives afterwards. You have well, to basically the, chain them down because yeah. of the government secrets they have. Well, that's kind of like this just just like Snowden's thing because the, the CIA and the NSA don't, definitely have like that's exactly what they are. They're like, you are this, you are an operative, you are an online operative. And here's, here's your high tech, like James Bond thing. And it's just like a computer room. Almost none of them write code. No, but like there's very few of them. Software for the code that they want, like Pegasus, that Israeli company. Yeah. Pegasus is the biggest hacking software and it's distributed to governments around the world. I mean, they claim they don't sell it to people who are, you know, killing their population or embezzling, public funds but we know for a fact they are <laughs> so where do you draw the line there are you just going to trust a international known hacking company that they're not giving out their their software or selling it or licensing it out to anybody else like yeah that's unreasonable um, but like because of our unconscious bias we don't even question the logistics of the market supply chain for hacking uh cyber threats mm-hmm. you know what i mean like we just assume that you know, um, some text from part of a file was written in Russian. They will just blanket statement. It was the Russians hacking us. Yeah. Without even second guessing where somebody else who might have uh, counterintelligence or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's one example. But there, there are like thousands of them. Like currency manipulation. Every central bank in the world engages in currency man- value manipulation. That's what setting the... Uh, the central bank rates does is it manipulates currency valuations, uh, changing between countries. Uh, the euro was a very, very big and famous project of currency manipulation. Uh, the IMF is constantly using currency manipulation by offering favorable loans to this or that person, but not this or that other person. Mm. So, like, they're in finance is just everywhere, right down from the ratings agencies that rate the uh, the viability of repayment of bonds. Every country has rating agencies. They're all paid for by the banks of that country or the government who has a vested interest in those ratings being favorable at any given point in time. Right. Um, there's the military industrial complex. We can't say that bombs aren't being built. Somebody has to build them. Chances are that's a capitalist system. That means that we're paying for bombs that are killing people. So when we sell bombs to Saudi Arabia and Saudi, not us, but US, we're all the same though. All well, people. we did sell, um, Trudeau did sell a bunch of uh, those bison uh, APCs to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. That was years ago, though. You know, there's nothing wrong with selling weapons to another country, but while they're actively causing the world's worst yeah. humanitarian crisis, well, that's why bombs on civilians, you don't sell them more fighter jets and then go on TV and brag about it like Trump did. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just kind of that was what everyone in Canada was angry about was like, why are we giving weapons to a country that doesn't let their women do anything? Like, 
so that they can cause a civil war and oh, okay, that cause makes sense. a humanitarian crisis. <laughs> yeah. People are freer in a refugee camp, apparently, when their yeah. homes are blown up and they're sent out of, out of town. But I mean, sense. Israel's the biggest example of this. And I mean, we talked about it with Rafael Cohen Almagor uh, on a past episode on the Israel-Palestine conflict. But the fact that the U.S. is continuously vetoing the U.N. Security Council and the U.N. resolutions to prevent an illegal occupation in Israel and come to some sort of diplomatic solution, the U.S. on the other end is not only stopping conversations cold with their power to veto just for being rich and, and big, but they're also actively engaged in donating money to support Israel's military expansion and occupation of settlements expansions and stuff. So like diametrically opposed moral values. On the one hand, we're fighting and murdering in the name of freedom and liberty. And on the other hand, we're contributing and supporting Israel for the sake of our own religious beliefs through government money. And as we've established, in my opinion, it's partially due to the Zionist impetus that Israel is behaving the way it is. And they justify the, the war crimes they're committing to the Palestinian people in the neighborhood based on their religious um, belief that they are the, uh, the stewards or, or um, they're the sole recognized proprietors of that land based on their textbook. Mm -hmm. Nobody else. <laughs> right. But that's but. the same as China and the South China Sea. Right. Or China's claim to Taiwan, or Taiwan's claim to China for that matter. So it's complicated, and it's not isolated to just the egregious instances. It's everywhere. Everybody mm -hmm. on earth does this. Bangladesh, when they separated from India, and Pakistan and India, and like Bhutan between Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, like Tibet and China, Mongol, you know what I mean? Like every country has this, um, this type of unconscious bias that inflates or exacerbates other biases which would otherwise be clearly false narratives but we're susceptible to them because we're less likely to do factoring in math when we don't have to right <laughs> because factoring is hard it's it's just it's destructful it's destructive in its outcomes but indirectly it's not that unconscious bias leads to death and destruction. It's that unconscious bias leads to conformity, affinity bias, which leads to hero bias, which leads to death and destruction. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I got a whole bunch of other examples, but I guess we don't have time to go through them all. But like, I'll just name a few just to... Uh, well, let's get into maybe we'll get deeper into one of them. Okay, well, we'll get into the... My Libya case, I yeah, guess. Yeah, you brought up Libya a couple times, so let's... Yeah, so Gaddafi is one of the first international leaders that I actually followed and studied because when I started doing currency exchange and forex trading and stuff like that, um, it had just... It had just came that uh, Libya started developing its oil resources and became wealthier and they started donating to other socialist movements that were like either rebel groups or insurrectionists or whatever you want to call them, separatists. He was funneling money to help uh, other countries establish a government to which he agreed in principle with their lines. Mm -hmm. And that was socialism. So he was also a socialist. He would spend government money on, um, on people. And 
Technically, yes. <laughs> it, it's exactly like we do now. When we support freedom and liberty and like education for women, we give money to those countries and uh, and expect them to put that money to good use and promoting yeah. freedom and liberty and women's rights and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, right? So, in principle, it's no different. Um, but we object like flat out to his actions because the consequences we attribute as him being the master puppeteer when all he was was uh, a, a war general who who instigated a coup on the government a, and took over the country, which yeah, like of hundreds of countries have done. Yeah. <laughs> and not only have they done it, but we've sponsored most of them. Well, I don't want to say most. Mm. We've sponsored dozens of them. Yes. Dozens and dozens of coup d'etats. We sponsored two in Turkey, one in Venezuela, just in the last like few years, I'm talking about like five years or so. Um, we've sponsored them in, we tried to do it in Panama so that we can get the Panama Canal and the, the government ship, uh, the US ships could benefit from the shipping routes. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That was like 120 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, we've been doing this thing right up till today. Yeah. Well, the and, Persia is probably until, one of the like, most famous ones. Uh, or the um the El Salvador, Honduras, the Iran, Nicaragua. Because um, Iran is in a mess because mostly because of the, the Americans. Yeah. yeah, and now they have that government which is fun. <laughs> which is yeah, and never... look at the consequences of it. And it's all because our unconscious bias led us to believe that we were doing the right thing at the time. Right. Without questioning the motivations or the intents or the the after now, effects or the ill. To effect. be fair, hindsight is a really powerful tool like to there's fair, no way they could have known people unless you're positive yeah <laughs> well it's kind you of goes against the american ethos too unless you're like, sure it goes against what the americans actually like they're going against it's not very american to actually do that um <laughs> because the americans originally were set up to be and they didn't really do this very often um before about well, they did quite a. They did a bit, but not as much. Um, mostly to take care of Barbary pirates. But um, what was happening was that, like, we're gonna leave you alone if you leave us alone. But if you don't leave us alone, well, we're gonna have fun, aren't we? Um, and well, Mexico. Well, everyone has a thing about Mexico, but um, Santa Ana wasn't exactly a glorious dictator. Um, he looked great in that coat, though. But what I'm saying is it's not very American to actually go and overturn other governments. And we seem to have been taking – the Americans seem to be taking their time learning that lesson again um, because they're supposed to be based on the fact that, you know, their whole country is based on the fact that let us do our own thing, go away Britain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. But nobody else is allowed to do their own thing. Well, because that was – kind of American exceptionalism from the early 20th century kind of took a long time to die. And it's just finally dying because the Americans are only starting to talk now about like, maybe we shouldn't go into other countries. <laughs> I don't think it's dying though. It's just getting more and more um, subtle. Uh, well, it, so what I well, mean, like, yeah. okay, the American hubris, the thing that if you went to any other country in the world and talked to a person who just said they hate Americans, not individual Americans, but the country of America. Yeah. They will all tell you the same types of things. They will yes. say, America comes in and bombs innocent people. They steal your wealth. They're hypocrite. Like, 
I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. that's the prevailing. No, I, I've met people that say these things like, like screw America. <laughs> and I understand right. that because I used to say screw America. <laughs> right. So then when 9-11 happens, Gaddafi is the first of all of those countries to put his differences aside and say like, this should not happen. We don't, we don't approve of this, you know, and, and who, who gets sent back home first is the Saudis who, whose country, not the people, mm-hmm. whose country and family members were responsible directly for planning it, orchestrating it, getting the, the passports, getting the embassies to allow them in, teaching them to fly, getting them on the planes, yeah. funding their, their families and all the jihadists around the world. All of that went through the Saudi organization, which we didn't know at the time. But Bush did, and he still gave them the right well, free passage home. Yeah, they should have the national. Like they shouldn't have gone into Afghanistan. Um, like that was dumb. They literally went into Afghanistan because, like, they wouldn't give up intel or help with the hunt for Bin Laden. So they're like, "Well, we're gonna go in," and they just went into this one country and left the other countries not invaded all around them which were definitely more implicated like afghanistan's just sitting there going no nah, we're not going to help you and then pakistan's like no we're totally not hiding him and saudi arabia is just sitting there uh, actually doing all the nefarious stuff the way they garner none of them got touched is by leveraging impl- um, implicit biases in the public because the yeah. public would have never stood for it if they just went outright and said we're not exactly sure but we're bombing these people anyway Mm-hmm. The, the public would never have had any of it. Right. What got them was, um, oh, look at their main export is poppies and heroin. Well, you guys were selling Coke for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. You're buying all of their heroin and you're making medicine out of like a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Around the world, morphine is made from the same thing that heroin comes from. And yes. even in the UK, they still use heroin today as like a, for women giving birth to help them. It's a pharmaceutical. Like it's it's a drug, which means yeah, pharmacists it's a heavy drug, but it's yeah. a drug. So the um the inconsistencies in their public speak, like the double speak, I guess is to get into sociological terms, but the double speak that's being conveyed to not just the general public but the world public about like peace, anti-war, non non-nuclear uh nuclear non-proliferation non-prolifer- um, green deals. The U.S. are doing the opposite. They're saying everybody else needs to cut their carbon and then they're firing up their coal power plants again because they can't afford a couple price increase, a couple yeah. dollar increase in the price of oil. Um, or to be the fair, of- the U.S. isn't exactly the biggest coal burner in the world, though. <clears throat> oh, they're huge coal burners, yeah. Yeah, but it's nowhere near on the magnitude of like India and China. But that's because they haven't industrialized and they have a billion people and America only has 360 million. Yeah. And because like what 10% of Americans don't even have power in their homes because, you know, anyway, <laughs> uh, poverty and project housing projects and stuff like that aside and undocumented immigrants and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But sort of the point is the public was led and only agreed and only were complicit because they were leveraging, the government was leveraging the implicit biases of everybody in the country um, to their advantage. They made people scared of foreigners. They made people scared that terrorism was a huge threat everywhere else in the world um, without ever acknowledging 
what other countries would consider terror from America. Mm -hmm. So without actually trying to uh, analyze and fix the problem itself through deliberation and discussion and open forum, they're doing things like denying international court rights in um, of of Libya. So when when Libyan, I don't know if they're militants or whatever, but when it it came to light that Gaddafi had funded some people who crashed an airliner and a whole bunch of uh, civilian people died, the Pan mm. flight, something or other. And that's sort of what sparked the invasion on, on uh, in Libya. But the actual reason is probably something a lot more sinister because this has happened several times before that and since then, and they didn't go to war with a country and invade them. So let's look at what Gaddafi was doing at the time. At the time, Gaddafi was, yes, sponsoring a whole bunch of other groups, but no different, as we discussed, from us sponsoring, you know, freedom groups and other people we support. Like, especially no different from Contras and overthrowing governments and stuff like that. But uh, Libya was trying to bring back a, a gold standard so that the U.S. wouldn't have so much clout in world politics. So he was trying to reunite all of Africa and kick out all the oppressive regimes in Africa to unify the African continent. Because they were being exploited and ex expressly exploited. Like Americans and, and um, U Europeans were proud of the exploitation they were doing in Africa. Hence all the colonies. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why there's French speaking Afri uh, African nations. It's because of colonial regimes. It's why there, there came to apartheid in South Africa is because of colonialism and the Dutch and everybody vying for, for power and spots on mineral rights of land they never own. And so what else did Gaddafi do? Well, he renounced, he called out the hypocrisies explicitly and directly in the UN council. Um, hmm. He asked for an, an independent international court and the US walked away. Well, the only other time the US walked away was things like Israel's occupation, which most of the world agrees is also illegal, including the UN by several uh, resolutions that were passed and voted on, but vetoed by the states. So he called them out on their hypocrisy. He's trying to get the world off the US uh, standard, currency standard. Um, they call it the reserve currency because energy prices worldwide are priced in US dollars, and that makes their, their currency intrinsically more valuable so they can print it without worrying about the after effects or aftershocks of printing money, which other countries have to deal with. So they want, they want this preferential treatment from the entire world, um, with like, uh, their shipping, their naval vessels going through international waters. If there's an open dispute on the international waters, the U.S. doesn't care if somebody else is disputing it or claiming territory. They just mm -hmm. say, well, that's international waters according to us, so we can do what we want. And if you attack us, we'll attack you back tenfold. That type of response causes war. When you have an incommensurate re response with force to uh, an act of aggression, perceived off act of aggression, which the other side believes that there was material evidence for it having invaded their their um, their sovereign land or mm -hmm. their claimed territories or whatever you want to call it, but that's the same as like um, the the plane that got shot down over Turkey because it was flying from Ukraine or something over a corner of Turkey and Turkey didn't allow them in the airspace. They shot them down. Then Russia got all mad because it was a Russian plane. Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. It happens constantly, but it constantly doesn't cause wars, except in the case of Libya and Gaddafi, it did. But the peculiar thing that Noam Chomsky points out 
is that the news was already readied for something they were supposedly and claiming to be shocked by. They were already stationed in Trippia before the bombing started. The bombing lasted overnight. It was just a free counteroffensive that just, it didn't even last 24 hours, I don't think. With the which which offensive are we talking about? Because uh, 1986 or something like that. Okay, it's when Gaddafi sort of got went from the good books to the bad books. That's sort of what happened. Yeah, because like to be fair, um, he was no Nasser. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I wanted it, to, I wanted yeah. to start this off by I'm not apologizing at all for Gaddafi. Yeah, because to me, Gaddafi was a simpleton and a bit of a nutcase. Like. I am the reincarnation of the Roman Empire and started wearing golden togas around and it's just like, this guy's a bit of a nutcase. Um, I don't think he was the socialist that everyone thought he was. Uh, they And definitely not the socialist that all the American media was. He's like, he's a Marxist-Leninist and he like hung out with Castro. It's like, yeah, he did. But like Castro thought he was kind of an idiot. And, but I don't know, he was just a military dictator. <laughs> Yeah, their, so, I, their ideologies aligned, him and Castro's. And so he was supporting yeah. Cuba for the Cuban people. And that to me is socialist. When you spend money from your government that you could spend on yourself or your own people and you spend it on others who are being oppressed. Yeah. I mean, he had ulterior motives, just like every country does yeah. when they give money and aid. That Cuba is right next to the States. That's a pretty handy place to have an ally. Yeah. And, you know, so, not be close to the, the danger, but still have. But based on what you're things. saying, like, um, Gabel. Nasser would have been like to me he was a more of a uh kind of had this a lot of the same goals you know arabs for the arab people um a strong middle east uh uniting like he tried to unite syria and egypt into oh what was it the um it was like a pan arab nation that was his big goal and he was trying to you know he started building uh ANC project or something like that hmm? ANC yeah that didn't last very long because once he died everyone's just like nah nuts to this uh united arab republic that's it and lasted for about 13 years but his idea was like well why are we all these separate you know warring bickering arab nations and so nasser i think might be you know every, there's a lot of people disagree with him but i think nasser is a lot more of a uh sympathetic character with regard to the historical record um but that what that's not really what we're talking about we're talking about how we painted Gaddafi to be this bad guy when really it didn't matter no but worse is how we justified <laughs> war based on him being a bad guy not yeah. war just an attack an outright attack on civilians for something that the people had nothing to do with yeah and, and that to me is the that that's the part that I wanted to like well, the crux to of me, my argument here. It has nothing to do with whether Gaddafi was right or wrong or good or bad. The point is painting people as good or bad is inherently stupid. Yes. It's overly simplistic and it's necessarily going to lead to conflict because you're you're diametrically opposing people's points of view when they shouldn't otherwise be. You're making things as extreme as they have to be. Mm-hmm. You're, you're radicalizing the entire discussion by well, not dealing with the actual meat of the issue. Well, the the whole like the pro I, like this was earlier, but like you know, either you're with us or you're with the terrorists thing. It was kind of just like everyone's just like, yeah, you know, September 12, America, yeah. and then all of a sudden he comes out and says either you're with us or you're with the terrorists, and like everyone's kind of like, 
yeah what <laughs> that's kind of ominous today it's like yeah. well are you racist or aren't you well then you should be in favor of x leftist plateau yeah no that's not how logic works like, well it's nuanced <laughs> just and make something some... binary and pick a side and say hey i'm logical yeah <laughs> that's well, kind of like um it's like well it's nuanced opinion oh well you must be a turf then it's like what <laughs> But it's the same when I make the Gaddafi argument at a bar or something. You'll get yeah. that, oh, you're a terrorist apologist or a simp uh, hater sympathizer or something like that. I'm, yeah. No, that, that's the part of intellectually discussing and studying something is looking at the other person's side and bringing it to the table for, for rumination. That's yeah. part of the intellectual process is suspending your own beliefs and adopting someone else's to see how we could fix this from both perspectives yeah because that's what makes sense to do well and now, the well yeah well in libya's case the war didn't really stop after Gaddafi died because you know isis kind of moved in and then americans went back and bombed the crap out of isis um, which actually on that count i'm not really against american intervention on that point but <laughs> but one might say that isis was caused by america's intervention right. in libya like, if and, you want to recruit terrorists and radicals and you live in the Middle East, the best way to do it is to point to examples. Mm -hmm. And that's what they'll do. And they'll, misrep they'll misrepresent the examples, too, just like we misrepresent our examples of goodness. They will misrepresent theirs to say how good and heroic their people are. Yeah. And that's where you get martyrdom from, where people sincerely believe that they're going to go to heaven because they kill and murder American troops. Mm -hmm. That's an insane belief, but the only way they could believe that is if they've had some sort of root of experience or treatment that led to it. People don't just wake up, born, surrounded by no people, and then suddenly come to the realization, if I ever meet one person from this area of the planet, I'm going to kill them because they deserve to die. Well, Nobody's born with that. That's I had, I had this thought uh, when we were talking a bit about racism, because... You, 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 and you, it kind of came up again when you say this, cause like no one's born with this and we have these assumptions kind of grilled on us. Some of them, some of them make sense. Cause like different thing is different, but what would happen if, you know, you get a group of just random assortment of humanity and all of a sudden they meet a new racial type, just something we haven't imagined yet, something different. And everyone's looking at, Purple people, yeah. And it's just, everyone, they walk in and it's just like, hey, I'm Steve, a purple person. And everyone's just like, what is that? And it's like, well, it's a person. But the thing is, is that you have this difference, this other novelty, and you can't ignore it. Be like, well, I'm supposed to be colorblind. It's like, yeah, but I've never seen that color before. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. different. It's weird. I'm going to, like, and so you don't even know you without, like, something walks in different and you have a bias towards it. Well, the bias is, unknown different danger you know danger will robinson starts going off in your head but um you know caveman humanity would have been inclined and i think this is almost a hopeful idea maybe that i have maybe i'm optimist but caveman us would have just been like different smash and you know rocked ahead but mm. you know a new in our society at least in free societies a new thing comes in and we just get 
curious. You know, our, our little lizard brain back there goes, different, strange, um, you know, be wary. And like, of course we're wary. When you see a contraption in a dark room that you have never seen before, you don't know what it is. You're not just going to be like, I'm going to stick my fingers in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> but you don't, we don't smash skulls anymore just because something is different. Now, if that purple people was shown to have behaviors uh, that were in you know, because they're purple, they decide to eat people. Um, the purple people eater. Uh, there's literally a song about that. I was leaving you for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, um, if he becomes a purple people eater, uh, purple comma people eater, um, then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an important distinction. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, um, then we can have this, okay, this thing is not a good thing. This is a, is still, it's not a good person. But, and if we, but the thing is that if that's the only purple person we've seen, then well, next time we see a purple person, we'll be like, do you, are you going to eat me? <laughs> like, should that's I? That's a logical question to ask. That's a logical, that's a logical bias. And then the purple people is like, no, we sent that guy away from our little, you know, island of purple people because he was eating people. And they'll be like, oh, mm -hmm. that was an outlier. So now I have to make new assumptions of the purple people. Or I could be like, you know, um, well, I brought a machine gun, so I'm going to get to work because I can't take that chance. <laughs> and so we have to realize that our, uh, our, our, you know, like, I guess what we're saying is our biology betrays us. Yeah, biology betrays us, but often we have to realize that why it's betraying us too. Like, because, you know, Unknown things will kill you. If you are going hiking and you don't know what that thing is, don't eat it. <laughs> like, there's a reason we have these biases. Is like, I don't like the looks of that area. Why? I just don't. Well, we're not going to go over there then. Well, it's probably a sound idea. But, you know, well, we have to go there. All right. Well, then let's sharpen a stick and go cautiously. And so when we meet purple people or when we go to some place where we are actually the outlier, um, you know, some, you, you're dating someone of a different racial group and they, she takes you to your, her, her, uh, you know, gathering and everyone's doing stuff a little differently. And you're just kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. And so you have to walk carefully, not because oh, I could offend somebody, but because you have no idea what the, what the biases are there. You have no idea what the things are. So you have to learn them. And so you have to create new biases. Oh, so like biases, like, I don't know, we should eat with this utensil first or, you know, uh, always gravitate towards this side of the table. Why? Well, it's just what happens here. So, we're all going to go to this side of the table first. That's what we do in our culture. Oh, okay. Well, and all. So, if you, you're going to make a social faux pas if you go left instead of right and then they're all, so they don't think about it or maybe that's the way the women go in their society or something. Um, that's and sort of be, what I'm getting at is we need to recognize it so that people don't walk into every de debate or conflict or debacle with uh, an itchy trigger finger. Yes. So sharpening the stick, there's nothing wrong with being defensive and protecting yourself in an unknown area. And there's nothing wrong with noticing that purple, that last per purple pe person that you met has a musical instrument you'd never seen before. So the next time you meet a purple person, you ask them, hey, must what all kind be of so instruments musical. do you play? Just to see if maybe they have a new instrument you've never seen before. Yeah. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. The issue comes when we start inflaming people's um, 
passions, when we start riling people against each other, and to make that, that angst more real, we intentionally leverage or amplify the emotional aspect. And we, to do that, you can't just stand up and be like, I want you to feel really happy about the Winnipeg Jets. It's not like that. You have no, to actually feel it from the inside out. The <laughs> passion. You can't just tell people, be passionate now about this. Yeah, no, and that's why those whiteout parties happened. If you're not from, no, don't know anything about Winnipeg hockey, look it up. It's a no, every fun other party. Co- like city copied yeah. us after that, but yeah, but it was kind of like that happened as a matter of just course. You can't mm-hmm. force. You can't force it. Essentially, and I, I think that's what's really important. Sort of getting towards wrapping things up because I don't want to just uh, yeah, and the dead horse to death. But, no, I think we've made our point quite well. Yeah, so, so just. To be clear, though, I'm not trying to say that one thing is right or wrong. I'm not trying to say there's never any case for any war ever. I'm not trying to say that Gaddafi was a prince. Well, I mean, uh, literally, I think he was. Moral. Why <laughs> <laughs> I stumbled there. Um, and I'm not saying America's all bad. And I'm not saying that they're 100% imperialist even to today. And I'm not saying that, you know, all racist people endorse slavery. Like, none of those broad statements are true. None of them. Yeah. And for anybody who believes that things that simplistic and black and white are true, that's usually a pretty good signal that you need to sit down in a dark room and really think about where you came up with your ideas. Yeah. Because if you hash them out rationally and they're still the same ideas, then maybe you're onto something. But nine times out of 10, your unconscious bias is just, it's a shortcut. It's not the in-depth thought. That gut feeling that we have about things is not the truer version of reality. No, Science, that, that meticulous, detailed record-keeping of observation, experimentation, reaction, observation, that's more detailed and more accurate than your gut in all instances. Right. Sometimes well, your gut is right, but that's why we evolved to have it, is because more often than not, it's helpful. Yeah, and learning how to interpret what your gut's saying is important. Like That's mm-hmm. why I was like, my gut keeps telling me things whenever I get this feeling inside of me and I go with it, like I generally, I end out on top. So I learned to listen to it in a specific way, but sometimes my gut's telling me to do things because I'm hungry. <laughs> it's like, you should just go yell at that person's face. It's like, why? Oh, cause I haven't eaten in six hours. <laughs> and that's the extent of the metaphor with the neural nets too, is because yeah. those are like extraneous factors that like amplify things they're usually things like hormones that make you hungry or hormones that make you horny or hormones that make you sleepy like our body entirely responds and the way we behave is almost entirely respondent to the chemistry in our bodies yeah that's really important to remember because we all have bodies that are all susceptible to it yeah so introspection is key yeah and and it's hard and and it sucks and we don't like doing it but we should do it well, that's what meditation is pretty much, but whatever you call it, prayer, meditation, introspection, mindfulness, if you're a new age hippie, uh, then, uh, yes, I'm being humorous. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you can do it and it doesn't matter what you call it. Um, so I think that was a good discussion. Um, for a follow up. for indulging me. Sorry for. It's okay. As a follow up, I'd probably, I kind of want to, for a future episode, I'd probably want to look at um, specifically the implicit bias test and how when we're using bias. Now, bias is obviously a thing, 
but we're using it now as an inquisition. And that might be a future episode um, because there is a few things. It's become a witch hunt. We got to find out everyone's implicit biases. So that might be a future episode. Let's coin the term Caucasian inquisition. Caucasian. Okay, that had a bad. Caucasian. <laughs> censored for that. Yeah, uh, we'll just beep that. <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to tell everyone where to find the rest of our stuff if they accidentally watch thing suppose. and can't figure out how to click on our channel? <laughs> uh, as always, reference in the notes in the description. You can find everything. Um, ChrisDriver.com slash feed slash RSS feed.xml. The link is it's in the, the description. Bottom. Check it's it right out. down there. Um, we're on iTunes. You can check that with any podcast player you got. Uh, just plug the URL in to subscribe and you'll get all of our latest up to date with no commercials or advertisements or paid promotions or anything like that. Just all free frivolous gravitas. You've been listening to myself, Christopher Driver, and with me. It's me, Jordan. <laughs> Mr. Jordan Roy. I have titles. I don't use them. <laughs> We have to be sure now because, you know, gender pronouns and stuff like that. Yeah. You have to tell people what you like to be preferred. I'm a attack helicopter. <laughs> I identify as a webcam. <laughs> See? Look, look at me go. <laughs> All right. Long in the we tooth. Take care. See ya. <laughs>